Well, Merry Christmas. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I'm just asking you to be present with us tonight as Nancy and I give our story. And as we give our story, we realize it really isn't our story. It's your story of grace and mercy. We've been participants in your plan for our lives. We just thank you. In Christ's name. She kicked me and hurt her foot. That's not true. Okay, here we go. I, came, I come from a family with seven kids, a really large family. My father was a pastor, and he did furniture upholstery as his side job, as a tent-making job. I became a Christian at an early age. My family was very poor in western Kansas. My father was detached, and I don't recall one significant emotional connection with him. Mom was very busy in the upholstery shop and took care of a very large family. At the age of 12, I was a victim of sexual abuse. The abuse caused me a tremendous amount of shame, regrets, and pain. And at the age of 16, and without my parents knowing why, I enrolled myself in a private boarding school and left home. I believed I needed to make my life on my own, and it put me on a track of self-sufficient living, believing God didn't really care for me. Have we introduced ourselves? Uh, I'm Mark, and this is... Nancy. I grew up in the Midwest in a stable, church-going family, seemingly with no issues. But I remember longing for my dad's attention, yet being continually disappointed. I began believing I wasn't special to him. I struggled with feeling controlled by my mom. I was a rule follower, got good grades, and did my part to maintain the family image. But these things contributed to issues of low self-esteem, perfectionism, and people-pleasing. At a young age, I developed a world of fantasy thinking, which included playing symphony conductor in our family room. I came to Christ in ninth grade, but didn't know what having a relationship with Christ looked like. I assumed if I participated in Christian activities, things would be okay. I was excelling in piano, which became a part of my sense of significance and recognition. In 1969, I, I'm, I'm an old guy here. Most, 1969 is probably over before most of you were born. I attended a Bible school in England, and, and I thought I knew my theology pretty well. I came back to the United States and was drafted into the United States Army, where I continued to grow spiritually and was involved in a ministry that emphasized a lot of Scripture memory. In 1978, I moved to Dallas to attend seminary. And a few years later, attended a Bible church where I met Nancy. I saw Mark as mature, capable, and different. (laughs) In a good way. I loved his transparency and that he didn't play games. Things progressed quickly between us, but we also had conflict fairly early on, which I didn't know how to handle very well. I would end up stuffing my emotions. Mark wanted to move toward marriage, 
but I wasn't sure. And I struggled with being honest with him because of my default to people please. But we married in 1985 here in Dallas. At times, I was nervous about whether I'd made the right decision. I remember deciding prior to the wedding to just enjoy the wedding and the festivities, that everything would work out, my fantasy thinking showing up. We then had three boys within three and a half years, which detracted us from our relational issues. And I think we have a picture, this is my favorite picture, of uh, three little cubs in their baseball outfits. Fun times. In 1990, I started my own business, and it required a lot of travel. Nancy struggled at home alone with the kids, and I would often come home from a long, stressful week on the road, and I'd be critical of what seemed uh, Nancy's inability to manage the home and the kids. Often, I I got angry and was demeaning and contemptuous towards her. In 1996, Mark sold his business, and we moved to Bartlesville, Oklahoma, to be near family. Initially, I struggled with depression, but being an oil company town, it had a rich arts culture. My sense of feeling alive suddenly peaked when I became pianist for the city's orchestra and helped establish a musical theater company. It felt like salve on a wound as our relational struggles continued. I was being appreciated and recognized for my skills. I felt disapproval from Mark in handling the house and kids. In order to keep peace, I didn't talk to him about how this affected me. There were several times when the worship leader at our church asked me to discuss things with him alone. I minimized red flags and eventually crossed the line into an emotional affair with him. Our conflicts increased when our boys entered their adolescent years. I tried to hang in there with Mark during conflict, but would give up a lot of the time. Resentment began to build in me. I chose to brush it aside and thought, Well, things are pretty bad right now, but at least I have such and such music commitment on Tuesday night. I like being home for our boys' sports activities and boy scouting events and the campouts. In truth, my boys were the most important thing to me. Nancy and I were pulling away from each other, and I enjoyed, really enjoyed building my new business, and I liked traveling to get away from her and she didn't seem to care. I was gone. I loved being in a nice hotel, ordering room service, and watching Monday night football. She rarely called me to ask how I was doing, and when I'd call her, she didn't seem to really care. Music seemed to be Nancy's first love. Her connection with the boys and me suffered. I did not know what to do to fix things. We sought help from three different marriage counselors. Feeling in despair, I would often turn to pornography, stay at the office late, and work. Watch a lot of TV and other avoiding maneuvers. I knew something was wrong. One night, I got out of bed, very troubled, gazed out in the darkness of the backyard, and said to myself, I give up on this marriage. In 2006, interactions with Mark were still challenging, and I denied the the reality of what I was feeling about our marriage. I did nothing about it. I was craving relief 
and thought I was getting it in healthy ways by pouring into people and my community. But my heart was seeking escape routes that led to darkness, emptiness, and despair. In the fall of 2007, while Mark was on a trip, I ignored danger zones again, and I thought I was invincible to certain sins. Proverbs 16.18 says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Because of my ongoing struggle or unwillingness to say no to others, I crossed a boundary and I had a full-blown affair. The guilt was overwhelming. I felt like I was two people, almost an out-of-body experience. I didn't tell Mark, thinking I could handle it on my own. In January of 2008, while we were on vacation, I discovered the adultery. There's no way to describe the terrible hurt and despair I felt. As we departed Montego Bay, I remember begging God to just let the plane crash into the ocean. When we got back home, we separated. I stayed in our home with our boys, who were young men by this time, and I watched them struggle with the reality of this disaster. Just like our boys, I too struggled with intense anger and depression, all the while trying to hold it, hold it together for them. At night, I would drink wine and watch pornography in an effort to numb my pain. I really wanted to die. After several weeks of despair, I finally glanced at my Bible and started reading it. And then I began crying out to God in deep, deep, personal, tearful prayers. I didn't want anything to do with Nancy, and in fact, I hated her. But my desire to divorce her conflicted with what I believe God wanted me to do. In May of that year, Mark and I were separated again, just trying to hang on to life. We were trying to restore our marriage and began dating each other again. Denial can be a pretty thick fog to cut through. I wasn't being honest to myself about my emotions or to anybody else. And I connected with my affair partner again. Even with all my prior guilt, my ability to be in denial about my sin was still there. Although I thought I'd really hit bottom this time, I thought that being honest with Mark would hurt him even more and ensure a divorce, so I didn't tell him. So we moved back in together. And while, on a, while we were on a cycling tip trip... I know I don't look like a cyclist. You don't have to tell me. <laughs> we were on a cycling trip, and I asked Nancy questions about the affair, unaware of her, her relapse. Answers were not adding up, and I, I got suspicious. I snooped around on her computer and found evidence of her relapse with her affair partner. I confronted her, and she confessed. And this time also told me about the emotional affair she had earlier with a church staff member. Again, I was betrayed and very hurt, and we separated again. While we were separated, I was unfaithful again with another person. Now, I was at my very lowest 
loneliest place yet. What was I doing? How long was I going to continue this insanity? I was at my apartment, absolutely not knowing which way to look or turn, when suddenly it became personal between God and me. which was what God wanted all along. (laughs) I felt him there with me, and I fell to the floor in grief and humbleness, calling on him. I was finally seeing myself in reality and the pain I'd caused my family. It was at this point that I got up, excuse me, and visualized a circle on the floor. I tearfully, desperately stepped into what I called the honest circle, I asked God to forgive me, knowing he was right there. I made a vow to him. I committed to live within that honest circle with him and to pay attention to where I may be headed toward living in denial or outside of reality. This was the true beginning of my commitment to rebuild my life with God, my trust with Mark, and to get to know Jesus for the first time. God's word promises in Proverbs 23:18 There is surely a future hope for you and your hope will not be cut off. How encouraging is that? Well, when I found out about the latest affair, I knew I was finished with the marriage. I just wanted out. Nancy did not. This was not the life I wanted for myself nor what I planned for. I was afraid to try restoring our marriage again, only to be hurt again. But I never felt God was giving me permission to divorce. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, You are not your own. You were bought at a price. In Jeremiah 10, I know, O Lord, that a man's life is not his own. It is not man. It is not for man to direct his steps. I wanted to do what I always had done, and that was to take matters into my own hands and take charge of my own life. It seemed the right thing to do. I was angry with God and Nancy. I knew I did not own myself, but I was owned by God himself, and I belonged to him. I resented the pain, but agreed to try reconciliation again. The next couple of years were very painful. In 2012, I was triggered when Nancy asked me about attending a small concert where an affair partner was going to be present. I said no to her, and she became upset. I call it angry. She calls it upset. Then I became angry, and I said, I'm done. I loaded up my Yukon with my personal stuff, and I drove to Dallas. I left town weeping as I headed south and cried out to God for help. Once in Dallas, I found a Christian counselor and also started a divorce care at this little church I found on the internet called Watermark. In divorce care, we were asked to write a letter to our spouse seeking forgiveness for our part of the bad marriage. And I did that. At the end of asking for forgiveness... I said, but I still want a divorce. A few days later, Nancy asked to meet me 
And I agreed to meet thinking I could talk her into a friendly divorce, even though she told me she would not discuss it. We met in McAllister, Oklahoma for over three hours, and she did not budge. She would not agree to a divorce. This placed me in a position to be the one to end the marriage. Nancy was gentle and said she believed God had better things for our marriage and that she wanted to work out marriage with me. It touched me. Nancy was different. I could see that Nancy was willing to suffer for our marriage. I was struggling between hardening my heart versus forgiving. I had only a tiny hope that God could restore us. I offered, and she agreed, to come to Dallas to go with me to counseling, and we'd take it one session at a time with no promises. She showed up. Later, we also started attending Reengage in this very room almost four years ago. Uh, one night, we heard a testimony from a couple who had multiple infidelities, who had been married and divorced from each other three different times. I thought, man, if, if God could heal them, then maybe it's possible for him to heal our marriage. So we jumped in. Reengage was very difficult at times, and I wanted to quit. Twice, we had fights on the way to our session, and I didn't want to go. I struggled with forgiving Nancy, but my bigger struggle was being angry at God. I cannot overemphasize this too much. My struggle was, was now with God, not Nancy. How could God allow me to suffer like this? Was he sovereign? Did he love me? Did he care about my pain? Because when painful memories came, I wanted to flee the marriage and find relief anywhere I could. I wanted the life I'd planned for myself, expected and demanded. I didn't want this life of messiness and brokenness God had brought to me. After much wrestling with God, I began to see my pride and arrogance in wanting life my way. My sin was my demand that God provide me life on my terms. I did not want to need God. I thought about what Christ did for me, a sinner and a rebel on the cross and how he joyously gave his life. And I was a rebel just like Nancy. But yet he gave his life for me. I could never pay for my sin and Nancy could never pay for the sin she committed against me. I had a choice to make. I could uh, trust God and believe that the pain was authorized by him for good and forgive Nancy. Or I could continue down a road of hardening my heart. Jesus asked me to forgive her. In Matthew 6, Jesus was teaching the disciples how to pray. And he says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I thought, if I did not forgive her, how was I ever going to say the Lord's Prayer again and mean it? One step at a time, with Christ's help, and with wise friends God had surrounded me with years prior, I began living in that honest circle. 
for the first time in my life, and I committed to a new path. I finally understood and believed that God was the only one who could cleanse me, restore me, and love me completely. I've come to understand that trying to keep peace, to have connection at all cost, was not loving well. And my pattern of quitting in relational conflict was actually preventing Mark from learning how to love too. I regret what it took to break me of myself and the things I was blind to in myself, but I'm grateful for how my heart has changed as a result. Becoming truly broken has caused me to have a desire to know God and his character. I started reading my Bible because I wanted to, and I have more of a desire to turn toward him for truth and promises rather than my own escape hatches. I had expended an immense amount of energy for a long time trying to do things my way. I'm not guaranteed a pain-free life. That's not this world. But God's showing me the joy that comes from being willing to suffer and sacrificially love, just as Christ did. I'm seeing that in my personal and marriage struggles, God shows up as my father, comforter, redeemer, and friend as he shows me how to love. And isn't that the greatest thing he desires for us? I don't always do it well, and I can still move towards self-protection, pride, and resentment. But I don't default as much toward people-pleasing in my relationships. Struggles push me toward God for strength when relationships are difficult. Confirmation that the struggles have been worth it was when our 29-year-old son at one point said to us, Mom, Dad, thank you so, so much for working so hard on your marriage. All I wanted was for our family to stay together. And I'm so glad we are. I think we got a picture of our adult children. And there they are. That's the family that Satan wanted to destroy. And by God's grace, we've survived. I've got a broken arm there from another cycling trip, I gotta tell you. <laughs> I know I don't look like a cyclist. Today, thankfully, our marriage is not the same. Jesus says in Matthew 16, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. That's a tough verse. It's a daily dying, and I'm glad we didn't give up on our marriage and miss the experience of God's grace in our lives. I've learned what I did to make infidelity possible. I have had to deal with my self-sufficient living, pride, anger, and the ways I hurt intimacy. And if you're here tonight and you're thinking you want to quit on your broken marriage, I encourage you not to give up. There is no marriage that is too broken that God cannot heal. With God, thing, with God, all things are possible. We're just one example of two people who did things their own way and made a big mess of things. We aren't totally fixed. We still struggle. Believe it or not, we still struggle. And there still is occasional pain. But we embrace the brokenness and let God's mercy and grace guide us in a new way of doing life. Thank you for sharing. Merry Christmas.
Mark and Nancy, thank you guys so much. It's, uh, you know, it's just a joy to watch what God does. And as Mark started and ended our time, just kind of with this idea of Merry Christmas, like there's, there's something that we're celebrating, you know, this season and, and it, and it is a miracle, but it, it's the miracle of, of two holidays combined that really make all of this, um, come together. And it's just this reality that we're celebrating the miracle of, of God coming down to his rebellious people, um, to be born as a baby, being fully God and fully man against a rebellious people, you know, from the beginning of time all the way till now until the future, so that he could live a perfect life that none of us could live, just so he would be a sufficient sacrifice to die on a cross, and not only die on a cross, but experience the wrath of God that you and I deserve that Mark and Nancy talked about, that they deserved from their choices. Only so he could perform another miracle and be raised from the grave, conquering death and offering a new way of life for all who believe. And, and that is the thing that we hope in. That's, it's, it's both of these two miracles combined that make each one of them so significant. Because without Easter, there wouldn't be something that we'd celebrate around Christmas. And without either of those, we wouldn't be meeting here right now. Because I know that some of y'all in this room might not believe in the same God that we believe in, believe in the same hope that we have in about who Jesus is and what he does. And so here's the thing, is that either, you know, everyone in this room is kind of wearing an orange name tag or the folks who come up and share and Mark and Nancy, like all of us are just trying to fool ourselves to go back into some crazy mess of a marriage um, just to kind of cope with the next 40 years so our kids can say we stayed together. Um, or, or there is a God who loves Mark and Nancy, who loves me, and who loves all of us in here so much that he would perform the greatest miracle of dying for us and raising again from the dead so that he can offer us hope in the midst of our brokenness. And all of our brokenness looks different, but in the same sense, it's all the same. I mean, Mark and Nancy, as they talked about, they, they had things that they, that they loved, that they worshipped, that they idled more than God, and then therefore more than each other in their, in their marriage. And as those things weren't satisfying them, they had to go somewhere else, whether it was another relationship, in person or on a screen, to try to find some sort of hope, pleasure, joy. And all of us do the same thing when we aren't aligned correctly with our Savior, like Mark talked about, um, who's, who's paid for our very lives. And so the hope that we want you guys to hear in their story and every story um, is this hope of Christmas, is this hope of Easter fulfilled. And that no matter what our destruction is, whether we're coming in and, and we feel like Mark and Nancy did, like there's no hope. We're just going to go one day at a time. Or you're here and you're kind of saying, hey, we're, we're a six, we're a seven, we're doing good. But we know that there's more in ways that we can grow. Like we want you to know there's hope because of Jesus. And Jesus is looking at us in the midst of our brokenness, however you know, great or small it is. And he's saying, hey, come to me. 
Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me who are broken. Come to me who are hurting, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And guys, uh, we serve a God who is desperately in love with us. And the thing that he desires for us is not to rip us off. He's not trying to you know, give us a horrible life that we have to endure through. He's trying to set us free and to allow us the freedom of even, like Mark said, not trying to manage and control our own destiny. And so I want you to know that if you're in a tough spot or if you're in a place where you're just wanting to grow, you're in a safe place to do that. Mark and Nancy, thank you so much for sharing your story and sharing your lives with us. We appreciate it. Well, guys, my name is Ryan Nixon. It's a joy to be with y'all every Wednesday night. And if this is your first time here, we just want to say welcome. Like, we are so glad you're here. And this is, this is a great place to be, wherever you are in your marriage, uh, to just take that next step of growing closer in your oneness in your marriage and, and ultimately closer in oneness with Jesus. And so we've got a little uh, gift to give away before we head out of here. And so we've got um, a book and a gift card and some other treats. And if your number is, I got three cards. I can only get one of them. Oh, those other two were, I know, you're kind of wondering. I probably just dropped yours, Richard. Um, I see, I know. But 971, that's everybody, 6, 5, 4, 7. <laughs> All right, in the back, come on up. Great job. <laughs> that would have been awesome. I would have liked that. Thank you, Beth. Well, um, again, uh, we're so glad y'all are here with us. And so if it's your first time, as everyone leaves here, we'd love for you to come down here to my right, your left. And it's called our Newcomers Group. And you'll meet with Raul and Susan Cox. And they're going to share with you about this re-engaged journey if you choose to continue uh, coming. And if you have come through newcomers, but you ha- are not in a closed group yet, uh, you'll be going to, we'll have uh, one or two or three open groups, room 211 or 212. Go out these doors, take a right and take another right. And then want to remind everybody, we will not be meeting next Wednesday night. So the Wednesday between Christmas and New Year's, um, we will not be here, but we will be back here the first um, Wednesday of the new year, which I believe is the third or the fourth Way to go with that slide. Thank you, Jenny. And so we love y'all. Hope you have a great night pursuing oneness.